Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Misha Kogan, Associate Professor of Medicine at the GW School of Medicine and Health Sciences and Medical Director of the GW Center for Integrative Medicine. And I'm Janet Rodriguez, the Office's Administrative Director. Today, we're talking with Roland McCready, scientist, psychophysiologist, and Executive Vice President and Director of Research at HeartMath Institute. Dr. McCready is an international authority in the field of heart coherence and the effects of positive and negative emotions on human psychophysiology. His critical research on heart rate variability and heart rhythm coherence has gained international attention in the scientific community and is helping to change long-held perceptions about the heart's role in health, behavior, performance, and quality of life. Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, Dr. McCready. Well, um, thank you. It's great to be here. What is heart math? Heart math, the simplest way I can say it is, um, well, there's the organization heart math, and we conduct uh, research, uh, primarily uh, uh, psychophysiological-based research, Um, but it also expands into what we call social coherence and global coherence. But really, primarily, heart math is a set of tools and techniques that we've developed over the years that allow people to better, uh, well, become more self-aware of the stresses in their lives, uh, especially at the emotional level, and how to better self-regulate and become more um, in control of and self-regulate their emotional diet is one way I like to say it. Well, this is a very important time for us to learn about heart math. I can imagine um, you all have been uh, very busy in the time of covid well, we have. In fact, one of our uh, primary businesses is working with hospitals. So, uh, for example, all the Kaiser hospitals, I don't know if you're familiar with them or not. They're uh, one of the largest healthcare uh, uh, groups here in, in California, but they have uh, over 130 internal heart math trainers. So about every nurse and doctor in uh, the Kaiser system is, is taught in heart math, uh, but also Stanford and Mayo Clinic. I mean, many, many hospitals. So you can imagine during the times of the pandemic, uh, that group has been quite busy. You know, in fact, for anybody who's interested, I'll just reference that. Uh, we've also done a series of uh, shows uh, during this times for free to the public on Awake TV network. And one of those episodes was with some of the frontline nurses and healthcare providers uh, during the pandemic. And it was a very touching episode to really see how and hear from them how they've been using HeartMath techniques, you know, in the, in the front lines. Uh, and some, one of the, the, the folks was from Detroit, which was one of the hotspots, you know, and some of the stories where they had to build the extra, you know, morgue scaffolding and all of that to keep up with it and uh, what was going on there. But that, that might be a, something some of the listeners might want to check out uh, if you're interested in that. But we also work, um, of course, with uh, many businesses and education schools, um, things like that. In fact, another episode was for uh, how to uh, better navigate the stresses of uh, being uh, shelter in place and with the kids and um, and some of the programs we're now giving away uh, through the pandemic as well are, are referenced there. Uh, Roland, I've been following your work for you know, 10 plus years and uh, looking at all frequently different scientific evidence. Um, there's thousands of studies supporting use of heart rate variability on which heart math is based. But maybe in sort of just a couple of minutes, you can give us a 
overarching summary of the scientific evidence behind heart math? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say heart math is based on heart rate variability, but it's a tool we've certainly used and, and started doing research uh, in that field. Before, actually, before it was called heart rate variability, um, the I, I would say there's two levels of evidence. Uh, a lot of basic research that has gone into the heart-brain communication um, side of things and, and how the heart, uh, the the afferent or the ascending neural traffic from the heart modulates uh, mental and uh, cognitive functions, um, quite a bit of public publications there that have uh, directly shown that as people learn to become more what we call heart coherent, in other words, when we use the self-regulation techniques to shift into a more coherent heart rhythm, how that positively impacts um, cognitive functions and our capacity to regulate stress. Then the, on the other side, outcome studies, there's well over I think, four, 400 independent studies now that have uh, used heart math across a wide variety of populations around the world, actually, showing that as we as people are taught how to make this shift into, into coherence. And we do use, uh, not in every study, but a lot of those studies use um, heart rhythm coherence feedback. So these are simple, inexpensive devices that give you real-time feedback on how coherent or incoherent your heart rhythm is. And as you properly use the, the techniques, you shift more into coherence. So that's a facilitation uh, process to learn how to use these skills. And one, one of the things I just comment here on, I think that um, is that a lot of most of the heart math skills or techniques are really intended to be used in the moment we're experiencing stress or want to in increase our, our cognitive function before making a decision or entering a more stressful environment. Uh, so it's, it's one of the things where we're a little different is that we really focus on in the moment uh, regulation throughout you know, daily life. So I hope I answered your question there. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. Roland, I've always been fascinated with uh, some of the research you guys done on heart-brain connection and sort of basis of intuition using the, some of the heart math techniques. Can you just give us a couple uh, sentences about that? Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I think I have to acknowledge that our work on heart-brain uh, communication is really built on the, the shoulders of a lot of other really uh, good work that's been done in the field of psychophysiology. You know, in fact, um, back in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, through that, um, it was really first observed by, by research groups back then that the always call out the quality of the neural signals or the patterns more specifically of the afferent or ascending neural signals to the brain. And in fact, a lot of people don't realize that the, the heart sends far more information to the brain than the other way around. We're talking through the, 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 the nervous system. And that's actually been known since the late 1800s. That's basic neuroanatomy. Nothing really new, but just a lot of people don't know it. But the terms that were introduced back then uh, to describe the effect that the heart rhythms have on, on mental function were called cortical inhibition and cortical facilitation. So depending upon the activity of the heart, um, it would describe, you know, the predict and, and modulate uh, cognitive functions. And it took a lot of researchers, there's really hundreds of papers on this if you go back into the literature, it took a long time to really sort out all the mechanisms of that. And that's kind of where we came in to then further, uh, further that work. And that's where we were able to show that what we call the heart rhythm coherence hypothesis, that when we're in a coherent heart rhythm, the sine wave pattern in our HRV, that that has an even greater effect than what was being seen by the short-term effects uh, in the earlier work. 
how you asked about intuition. So one, one of the, the reason that we started doing that line of research is one of the things that we kept hearing over and over and over from people that learned these heart math techniques to, you know, usually in the context of regulating stress uh, or improving their physical functions. So a lot of athletes use this as well. Um, so the reaction times, coordination is also improved when we're in that coherent state. But we kept hearing that there, people were talking about intuition and synchronicity uh, being dramatically rep- improved or different in their lives. So we started uh, kind of investigating that. And I w- we don't have time to go into it, but we've really identified that there are really three types of intuition. But I think the one you're asking about is we did a series of studies that actually where we were able to trace the flow of information in, in these very rigorous lab conditions of these interintuitive signals. And it even surprised us what we what we found was in these protocols that where you, you have a future event, like a picture you're going to be shown on a screen, for example, either a negative one or a calm one, these types of things, that the heart would actually shift up to 20 seconds before you saw the image, depending upon the protocol. And it kept, uh, and that's been repeated in many studies now. So somehow the heart seems to be tapped in. The way I first got this published was to talk, uh, to say that basically the heart seems to have access to a field of information outside the boundaries of time and space. Um, so anyway, that's been gone on now to be, uh, there's even two meta-analysis on that type of research. Um, so you're saying, you're saying, Roland, that the, the old truth that all the mystics have been saying that the heart knows is actually true? I am indeed saying that. Yeah, with about 80% accuracy is what the, the studies suggest in these, in these, again, these kind of lab conditions. That is fascinating. Roland, can you tell us how frontline providers can incorporate heart math into their practice? Oh, sure. I mean, we actually have two different uh, clinical certifications and a third coming uh, specifically for trauma um, that are easy to kind of take. They're very inexpensive that actually teach clinicians, uh, whether you're a medical doctor, a psychologist, psychotherapist, and so on, how to, uh, what the heart math techniques are. There's about six core techniques that we teach uh, in that context. So it's a course on really what, how to, what those techniques are and how to best deliver them and teach them uh, to, to clients. Now, how can lay people um, do the same? Easy. Uh, there's a lot of ways. Um, we have published a number of books over the years, um, some of them pretty popular. But there's also a, um, this is one of the free things we, we're, that we've offered now called the HeartMath Experience, which is a video-based program uh, for the public. Um, and we talk about a lot of the core techniques in there as well. So like freeze frame and quick coherence and attitude breathing, some of the names of the techniques. So, And we also have a, a free program that we've released uh, through these pandemic times for children, uh, that especially when oh, that's a lot of that really, is, and I think the earlier on, well, I don't think I know that we can really teach children about their emotions, what they are, how to identify um, them, become aware, accept them, and self-regulate them. The better that we don't have to spend all this time as adults on learning all the uh, the bad habits, so to speak, that we, uh, we developed. Uh, Roland, I'm I'm assuming you guys transitioning to all the online platform for teaching and even yeah. uh, for providers to serve patients, uh, but maybe you can just say a couple of specific words about that. Well, yes. In fact, the two programs for clinicians uh, have always not exactly been online, but delivered digitally, uh, usually with a live instructor, so you don't have to travel and things. So we were a little ahead of the curve on that one. But all of our certification uh, programs 
um, and, and also public programs are, are online now. So we had to do some quick converting, uh, as you might have, as everybody's had to do. It surprised us because our, our, our more in-depth, you know, week-long intensive training certification programs were always very high touch, very immersive. And a lot of us didn't think that was going to work in, you know, in the Zuma universe. But we've actually been surprised. It, it's actually working just as well and in some ways better. Uh, we have a lot of people from all around the world who take our program, so it's eliminated all the travel and you know international travel and, and all that as well. But we've learned a lot through the process. You know, we have shorter days, um, you know, and also learning some new kind of remodeling the way we do it to, to make it a more um, effective way to, in, in this context. But but what's surprisingly one the amount of bonding and relationships that occur are are just the same. Uh, in Zoom as they, they are here when we do them in person. It's, and that was really a surprise to us. You know, I think it's very in very consistent with what we're hearing from um, other providers and other organizations. I think it's quite surprising to all of us to find that um, even though we may not be in a physical space with each other, but, but you know, this intent and in creating the field, the atmosphere tends to work and work really well. Um, you know, last but not least, any uh, clinical pearls to share? Well, uh, clinical pearls, I, I think the where I would probably go with that one is, is really recognizing, I think, and, and most clinicians would, I think, probably agree with this, that, that stress is really the, the, the biggest issue on the planet right now for the majority of people. Um, not just through the pandemic, even before the pandemic, it was the number one issue. And really helping our, our clients and patients recognize, the, especially those what I would call the under-the-radar emotions. And, and we really focus on emotions. I'll just add this because they're the main driver of physiology. I mean, this is so easy to see in the lab here. You know, we can give people arithmetic tests and all kinds of cognitive stuff and things. Not a lot happens. I mean, sure, there's measures. But once you trigger an emotion, positive or negative, Big changes happen quickly. You, you see dramatic changes in hormonal release, uh, effects on immunity. Uh, and, you know, in fact, we, we did a study, I'll just say here, back in the 90s, where we showed that just five minutes of being frustrated and angry suppressed the first line of the, the immune system, uh, salivary IgA, for six hours. Whereas when we had the group uh, feel something more like compassion or appreciation, you actually had a, a boosting of immunity. So especially during pandemic, these pandemic times, I think that would be one of the most important things is to help people really learn to self-regulate, to recognize, accept, and then shift and self-regulate their emotions. You know, I think that's always been my sort of takeaway from anything I've ever read of yours or listened to you is that this capacity for humans to self-regulate and starting probably in the early childhood seems to be such an important long-term aspect of our health overall that um, I really see you guys, you leading HeartMath as one of the outmost leaders in this field on practicalities of this, not just doing your research, but delivering a clinical platform, practical platform that can be used by everybody, not just clinicians. Yeah, that, uh, thank you for saying that. In fact, most of our research uh, is applied research. I mean, we why do it if it's not going to help humanity and help people? Um, so a lot, of, a lot of our work on the basic research has really been so that we could better develop 
tools and techniques that really allow us to quickly shift. And, and we, we can teach this to anybody from kindergartners to CEOs to generals. I mean, literally. So Roland, I'm kind of wondering with this whole transition to so many things zoom wise, um, are you trying to collect data? Are you trying to do any um, applied research just to see that, that transition in terms of the evidence based, if it's going to shift any of your, uh, work at all? Well, we'll, we will definitely do research. I mean, I, I'm going to put that in two categories. I mean, we're very research-based, so most of the tra- of our uh, network of certified trainers and professionals, which is about 8,000 people around the world now that are certified to deliver heart math in its various ways and programs, uh, we highly encourage that even the trainers and the groups they work with do pre- and post-outcomes of the groups they work with. And we were uh, actually developing new, we have developed a new certification program specifically to increase what I'd call social coherence or team coherence. And we're doing some uh, new, new kind of research around that, not only on the psychometric side and, and develop new instruments for that, but on the HRV side. Now, this, this kind of gets a little broader in that we're, we're looking and have actually developed a new app uh, called the Global Coherence app that actually looks at the heart rhythm coherence of groups and the synchronization amongst group members, not just how coherent they are. And this is um, really a a new area, I think, of science and research. And some surprising uh, findings are coming out of this again. I've never, I guess one of the things I learned many years ago is to not to over predict what the outcomes are gonna be because they usually surprise us and are better than we would have predicted. And what we're finding here is that the essence of it is, is the more individually coherent that we are or can be, and the more, the, 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 this isn't such a surprise, but the emotional bonding, I'll call it, whether we like each other or not, is directly one of the highest predictive factors on whether individuals within a team or a group are going to literally synchronize. I mean, heart-to-heart synchronization is occurring at a level I would never have predicted or thought possible. And what's really blowing my mind, and I'll, I'll go ahead and mention it here, we need to do some more work before we publish much of this to really verify this, is we're actually seeing this can occur non-locally. Um, and this kind of gets into your Zoom question. And it's a study that we're, we're in the process of thinking through now how to set up, that when you're on a Zoom meeting and it, distance doesn't seem to matter, that when you have those deeper connections going on, that your heart rhythms can literally be synchronizing. Uh, and we have preliminary data to show this, actually. Uh, that distance doesn't matter. So there is some type of an emotional connection that um, defies time and space, is what, what I'm basically saying here. Well, this is so fascinating. I think, Roland, in a couple of years, we're going to have to bring you back. What do you think, Janet? Absolutely. Well, I'd be happy to. That's great. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Roland, thank you so, so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I hope this is helpful for some of your listeners. I think this is this is helpful for all of our listeners, Roland. And uh, I just want you to know that you're my gratitude for today. Awesome. You and HeartMath. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate your appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Misha Kogan. And I'm Janet Rodriguez. Be well, be safe.